don't know if you can tell or not, but I brought my Sprite up there in case I get a little dry. I've had a bug for the last three days. Thank you for someone passing it on to me. I appreciate it. And uh, I've had, you know, just saltine crackers, you can only have those for so many days, and malto meal. So I will not be in the back today, and I want to wish you Merry Christmas right off the bat, because I don't want you to have what I have during the holiday season. But if you'd like to come and take it from me, I'll wait up here for you for a few minutes and be glad to give it to you so I can be relieved of what I'm experiencing this morning. So I'm a little bit dehydrated. I've been trying to keep watered up, but it's kind of hard to do that. But anyway, uh, it is the Christmas season, and it is, uh, you know, the season uh, to be giving presents, to be giving gifts. And so I have this interesting um, little tidbit about a Christmas present that Tom wanted to give his wife. So here it is. Uh, It was close to Christmas, and Tom had been away on a business trip for a few weeks, so he thought it would be nice to bring his wife a little gift. How about some perfume, he asked the lady behind the cosmetics counter. She showed him a bottle and said it cost $75. That's a bit too much, Tom said, so she returned with a smaller bottle and informed him that this smaller bottle would only cost $35. That's still quite a bit too much, Tom complained. So growing a little bit disgusted, the clerk brought out a very tiny bottle of perfume And as he held it in his hand, he asked, how much does this cost? She said, that'll be $15. After careful examination, Tom then replies, ma'am, we're having a failure to communicate. What I mean is that I would like to see something really, really cheap. Now, I want to see something really cheap. Whereupon the clerk then handed him a mirror and said, here, take a long, hard look and tell me what you think. You know, it is hard, I think, on a budget to find the right price uh, for that right someone in which you want to display and, and to, to communicate how much you love and appreciate them. And most of us do operate on a budget, and I hope you don't get to that point where you just go crazy and throw the budget out the, you know, out the window because you will pay for it in January if you don't follow a budget. But nevertheless, the right price, the right present for the right person is often very difficult to find, and it takes a lot of shopping, and some of you are out there in the insanity yesterday afternoon. But what we're going to talk about today is the greatest gift that we could ever possibly receive from God himself. God is not a cheap God. God is an extravagant God. God gives generously, he gives abundantly, he gives far exceedingly above and beyond all that we could have possibly ever hoped, imagine, or dream. God is a very giving, gracious God. The Bible describes him as a merciful God, meaning that he doesn't give us what we rightfully deserve. And God is a gracious God in that he gives us more than we could possibly ever deserve in all of the blessings that God could ever give those who are his disciples. And if you just, just look around you and examine how much God has blessed you with, you should be overwhelmed at the generosity and the extravagance of God's love toward you and toward your family. He has already blessed you far exceedingly above and 
beyond all that you could possibly hope, imagine, or dream. You already have, in Jesus Christ, the most precious gift that God could ever give. For John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whosoever believeth him would not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus Christ, this baby, wrapped in swaddling clothes, placed in a manger, is the most precious prized possession that God could ever give for you and for me. I was recently at a church and I was uh, participating and well not participating but I was watching the Christmas pageant that was going on and it dawned on me and in all of the celebration that this church was exhibiting in the birth of Christ they missed the primary number one thing about this birth. Jesus Christ was born to die. He was born to die. He came into this world with the end in mind. And Luke helps us understand exactly that message and that principle. If you take a look at the passage in Luke chapter 1, you begin seeing the most exhaustive expression of the birth of the Messiah than anyone could possibly ever record. For example, Luke begins in chapter 1 by describing the birth of John the Baptist. John the Baptist is, is critical to the birth of Jesus. It is a miraculous birth, much like Jesus, but not supernatural in that Elizabeth, who would bear the child, John the Baptist, was not a virgin. She was an elderly woman beyond her childbearing years. And her husband, Zechariah, as defined in Luke chapter 1, while he was in the holy place, anointing, uh, lighting the oil in, in the, the most sacred place in the temple, an angel appeared and told him that he would father a boy, and he was to name this boy John the Baptist, for he would be the forerunner of Christ. He would prepare the way for the Messiah. Well, he disbelieved, and because of that, he was not able to speak when he came out of the temple, could not tell anyone other than in sign language or maybe writing it down what he had encountered and what had been told to him. It wasn't until after the birth of his son, and he named him John the Baptist, that he prophesied then in the last part of Luke chapter 1 about the promised Messiah and the fact that the Messiah, the Savior, the Deliverer would come. We then learn in Luke chapter 2 where we see Joseph and Mary are making that incredible journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem. I can only imagine what it was like making that journey while Mary was riding on that that donkey, that donkey did not have any shock absorbers. There was uh, probably more than likely a very difficult journey for her. She was well into close to her ninth month of pregnancy. I can imagine Mary, as they were making that journey, continued to say to Joseph, are we there yet? Because she was being bounced around, the child was in her womb, and it was a very difficult journey for her. They finally arrive only to discover that there's no place for them to live, especially in the inn, and they are then given an opportunity to then spend the night in a stable. And it is on that evening, that first Christmas evening, where she gives birth to the promised Messiah. His name is Jesus. She wraps him in swaddling clothes, places him in a manger, and just stands in awe. Meanwhile, we learn in Luke chapter 2 that there are some shepherds that are out in the field and they're watching their flock by night. When all of a sudden, an angel appears and bursts through the darkness of that night and declares that, that a Savior, the Messiah, has been born. He says, for unto you, he says, for unto you, in is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. It is in that message that I want us to take a look at exactly what the angel spoke to these shepherds. Of all people who could have received the news, this wonderful, most glorious news that all of Israel would have been 
glad to have received, God selected some angels, some no-name, some shepherds, some no-name shepherds out in the field watching their flock by night. I think he did that to help us understand that, that God's selective process is a little bit differently than man's. And those shepherds had a visitation from an angel who declared unto them that this child that was born was none other than the Savior, the Christ, and the Lord. What did they discover in that message? I want us to take a look at the three things in which we see the definition in the names of Christ, exactly what the angel was saying you will discover if you will go and examine the Christ child. First of all, we see that in God's greatest gift, the angel in his message, we discover that he is a divine Savior. And in discovering that he's a divine Savior, we understand the reason why God gave the gift. We are in need of a divine Savior. The word Savior is a word that Jesus doesn't really reference himself to hardly at all in the New Testament, but there are many passages that reference him as the Savior, not just this one, but a few others. What does it mean for Christ to be our Savior? It simply means that Jesus as our Savior came to rescue us or redeem us from something that is harmful, something that is evil, something that is destined to destroy us. And so we learn that he came to be our Savior. He came to be our deliverer, our Savior. And as a Savior, we understand then that there is a necessity on our part then to seek out then in this Christ child this beautiful message of him being our Savior. Why do we need a Savior? You might say, well, I've heard this a million times. But I don't know about you, but I don't know how many times I hear this, but it still blows my mind to know that in my need, Christ met that need in its totality. Meeting a need that I could not meet myself. I could not rescue myself. And yet he saw me in my need and came and rescued me. He chose deliberately, intentionally to be my Savior. Why would we need a Savior? Well, we need a Savior, first of all, because of our failure. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We have studied this probably until we're blue in the face. We have all, every single one of us, all of us have sinned. That not only sin, but we have sinned. We have already, in fact, committed sin against God. You may ask, well, what is sin? Sin is simply not doing what God has asked me to do, or it is doing the very thing that he said I should not do. Well, let's take the what I should not do. For example, have you ever told a lie? Anybody in here ever told a lie? Anybody ever told a lie? Every hand should go up, turn to your neighbor and say, you're lying right now. You have just sinned. And because you have sinned, you are a sinner. All of us have sinned, and because we have sinned, we have now fallen short of the standard of God. That standard is himself. He and he alone is the perfect God, and he demands from those of us who want to be saved perfection, and perfection is impossible. And because we are sinners, then he talks about our failure in Romans 6.23, for the wage of that sin is death. What we deserve, what we have earned, what we rightfully should receive because of our failure, because of our sin, is eternal separation from God, not only in this life, but forever. 
or the wage of sin is death. But notice in Romans 3.23, but the gift of God, he says, is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The gift of Christmas, the gift of this baby that was wrapped in swaddling clothes and was placed in a manger, was born to die. He was born to die. How could he die for our sin? It would require that Jesus would have to be sinless. And the fact of the matter is that in the birth of the Christ child, we see his sinless perfection. If you take a look at Luke chapter, take your Bibles and turn over to Luke chapter 1, I want to show you where he talks about, where the angel describes to Mary the sinless perfection of Jesus. In fact, Jesus is and always has been and will forever be divine. In Luke chapter 1, verse 26, six months after Mary was with, uh, Elizabeth was with child. Six months, remember? Talked about John the Baptist, Elizabeth, and Zechariah. Elizabeth in six months into her pregnancy, when all of a sudden, notice what happens. Gabriel, God's messenger, comes to Nazareth and he speaks to a virgin named Mary. Describes her as a virgin. That simply means that she has never intimately, sexually been with a man. She is a virgin. Notice verse 27, a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary, verse 28. And he came to her and said, greetings, O favor one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. Of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, Notice what she says. How will this be since I am a virgin, since I have never physically, intimately, or sexually been with a man? How can I conceive a child? I am a virgin. And the angel says in verse 35 to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth that we referred to earlier in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with with, with her who has been called barren. But notice what he says, for nothing is impossible for God. Nothing is impossible for God. Christ didn't have an earthly father. And because of that, he was completely divine. He was both fully God and fully man. He was the perfect sacrifice to be offered upon an altar where he would take upon himself sins that he did not commit, but sins that we committed who place our faith and trust in him so that he can die on a cross, a sinner's death, not for his sins, but for your sins and my sins and for the sins of everyone who would place their faith and trust in him as their Savior. 2 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 
1 Peter 2, 22, he committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Verse 24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. In the Old Testament, they would go to God for salvation. And now God is revealing that Jesus Christ has been sent by the Father to be the Savior. And now, not only Israel, but all who wish to be saved must now look to Jesus, the divine Savior, for our salvation. So we discover not only the divine Savior, but we also then discover the delivering Christ. For unto us is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ. A Savior who is Christ. He is the delivering Christ. And in the delivering Christ, we understand the result of the gift, the recompense or the reward for the gift. For unto you is born this day, not only a Savior, but someone who is the Christ. The Christ is simply a Greek word, which means the anointed one. Someone that God has anointed, someone that God has appointed, someone that God has sent. But the word Christ also means Messiah. The Hebrew word was Messiah. The Greek word was Christ. Christ was the Messiah. When Jesus came, Israel was awaiting the Messiah. They believed that he was coming soon. As a matter of fact, they were anticipating his arrival. So much so that there was a lot of hubbub and a lot of talk and discussion in theological communities, in the church, among families, that the Messiah certainly, for sure, was on his way. They needed to be delivered from Rome, and they were expecting and anticipated that when he came, he would wipe out the Roman Empire and establish his kingdom in Israel and would reign forever from his throne in Israel. He will do that someday. Come to my class and do you, and we'll learn about it. Did you like that commercial, Mike? what I thought. You know, the first reference that we find that Jesus is the Christ and Messiah is found in the lineage in Matthew 1.16, where it's talking about the lineage of Jacob. And it says in Matthew 1.16, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is the Christ. The first reference that Jesus is to be the Messiah is to be the Christ. The two words are, in, are interchanged. But we also see in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 in the Christmas story, where we learn that Mary is, in Matthew, he tells us that she is with child, and that at some point, obviously, Joseph had to know. I can't imagine what that encounter was like, can you? Mary had had the visitation from the angel. She had gone to be with Elizabeth after that, to be three months with Elizabeth. She had been with her aunt. She had to come home at some point and had to deliver the shocking news to Joseph, her fiancé. And as a fiancé then, it was a legal binding contract. They were engaged to be married. And she was pregnant. But not with Joseph's child, with the Lord's child. Can you imagine that conversation trying to explain to Joseph, you're not going to believe this, sweetheart, but the Holy Spirit overshadowed me and that which is inside of me has been placed in me by the Holy Spirit by a form of supernatural and fertilization. Can you imagine Mary telling her parents and how shocked they must have been? Because up to this point, Mary is still a virgin. 
She has never been with a man intimately or physically. And so what's there is by supernatural in vitro fertilization through the power of the Holy Spirit, God placed in him all of Jesus in that womb. And Joseph, after hearing the news, the Bible says in Matthew 1.18, he was considering what to do. Behold, an angel of the Lord then appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear, take Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Verse 21, she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Watch this. For he will, not he might, but he will save or deliver his people from their sins. This is the first demonstration, the first announcement that this Jesus, this Christ, this Messiah did not come to deliver them from Rome, but he came to deliver them from sin and not to set up a kingdom on the physical throne in Jerusalem, but to set up a spiritual throne in the hearts and the lives of the men and women and boys and girls who would place their faith and trust in him. He would deliver his people from their sins. He's the deliverer. Some disciples believed he was the Christ. We learn in John chapter 1, verse 41, there was a guy named Andrew who was walking with John the Baptist, who now has a ministry. And John the Baptist and Jesus cross paths on a road, and John says, Behold, the Lamb of God. And Andrew and the other disciple who's with John the Baptist leave John and ask, Can we go with you, Jesus? And he says, Sure. Come along with me for a little while. And they went with Jesus. And Andrew realized and recognized that this Jesus was the Messiah. And we learn in John chapter 1, verse 41, he then first found his own brother Simon and said to him, notice what he said, we have found the Messiah, which means the Christ. Andrew knew that Jesus was the Messiah, that he was the Christ. In Mark chapter 8, verse 27, We learn that while Jesus went with his disciples through the villages of Caesarea Philippi, and on the way he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they told him the traditional things. Some say John the Baptist. Some say Elijah. Others say that, you know, you're some prophet of some kind. But he asked them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered him, you are the Christ You are the Messiah. I'm not quite sure they fully understood what that meant, but they knew, Simon Peter did, that Jesus was the Messiah. In John chapter 4, in that beautiful encounter with the woman at the well, after some discussion goes on while Jesus and her are alone, in verse 45, the woman says to him, I know that the Messiah is coming. She was awaiting the Messiah. He who is called Christ, when he comes... He will tell us all things. Notice Jesus' response to her. Jesus says to her, I who speak to you am he. Jesus declares to the woman at the well that he is the Christ. He is the Messiah. He is the deliverer of those who will place their faith and trust in him. And that's when the disciples show up and She's smart enough to leave, and she goes, goes into her town, and she tells the people, she says in verse uh, 29, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be 
the Christ? Can this be the Messiah? And as you read along further in that study, you learn that those people from the town went up, and after having encountered Christ, they tell her, (laughs) you don't have to tell us about him anymore. We believe that he's the Savior. We have come to know him as the Messiah. We believe he is the Deliverer. They believed he was the Messiah. Jesus trying to clarify with some disciples exactly what that meant in John chapter 8, verse 31, Jesus says in verse 31 to some Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. These disciples had placed their faith in Christ to some degree. They were Jews of the Old Testament path of righteousness. It's a righteousness that is earned, that is worked for, and that is deserved. And they came to know Christ, and they believed in him. And Jesus says in verse 32, you must continue to believe in my word. And if you will know the truth, the truth will do what? The truth will set you free. But their response to Jesus, they really reject what Jesus has just said. For they answer him, we are the offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved by anyone. How is it that you say you will become free. Now, the reality is they were enslaved, and they've been enslaved before. And right now, they were enslaved to Rome. Rome was ruling over them in Israel. So they were enslaved. So obviously, they're not talking about physical enslavement. They're talking about spiritual enslavement. And they said, we've never been spiritually enslaved. In other words, we've never really been enslaved to sin. And Jesus answers them, truly, truly, I say to you, Everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. You are a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. Notice verse 36. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. If the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Why did Christ come? To set us free. To set us free from the consequence of sin. What's the consequence? Separation from God. To set us free from the condemnation of sin, there is therefore now no condemnation to those of us who are in Christ Jesus. To set us free from the control of sin, that if we resist the devil and submit to God, he will flee. We don't have to live in sin. We are set free from the circumstances and from the condemnation and from the control of sin. We have been set free. We have been delivered. I did a study this week, and I kind of chased a rabbit for quite some time. This whole concept of being in Christ and what all that meant. And I learned some beautiful aspects about us now being in Christ, anchored in him, delivered by him. We have been set free. We have salvation, we have reconciliation, we have redemption, we have justification, we have sanctification, and we have, will have glorification when his final work will be complete, when he either takes us home to be with him or through death we go to be, with home, go, go to be at home with him. He will finish his perfect work in us. For he who began this wonderful work in us will at one day complete it. And we'll become completely like him. We're in Christ. We have a righteousness that's not our own, but it's his righteousness. We've been set free from 
the control and the condemnation of sin in Christ. We are now free, Romans 6.21. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the, fr- the fruit you get leads to now sanctification, and its end is eternal life. 1 Corinthians 15, 56, the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. This baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, placed in a manger in a little town called Bethlehem over 2,000 years ago, not only came as our Savior, but came as our Deliverer. And when we place our faith and trust in Him as our personal Savior and we commit to Him the leadership of our lives, we are delivered from sin. And now we can live the life that he has called us to live for his, for his glory and for his honor. Not only do we see those two things, the delivering Christ, but we also see the deserving Lord. The deserving Lord. The divine Savior. And now the deserving Lord. For his reign is a part of his gift. He will reign and he will rule. Notice he is not only Savior, who is Christ the Lord. The Lord. This is the Lord. He is the reigning king. He is king of kings and lord of lords. He is sovereign. He is all-powerful. He is God. He has all the authority of God. This baby is, in fact, God himself in the flesh. And he is and he will be, not only then but forevermore, the Lord. Take a look at the passage in Mary's story. Again, back in Luke chapter 1, you learn when she begins to question Jesus in that text. And Mary said to the angel in verse 20, 34, how will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel tells her how it's going to happen. She questions then this possibility She's been asked by God to bear this Christ child as a virgin, and she doesn't see how it's going to be possible. I'm going to question this. I don't see the possibility in it. And the angel answers her in regard to how God is going to make this possible. And then notice now how she responds to this very difficult request in verse 38. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to to your word. Mary, not knowing how God was going to make this possible, says to him, Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. She recognized and realized lordship. This whole concept of even though she could not see and understand how this impossibility was to become possible, she knew enough to have faith and put her trust in God in order to make that a reality. Later, we learn, while Mary goes to be with Elizabeth, upon that encounter, she calls the baby in Mary's womb, the baby in her womb, her Lord. Jesus has not even born yet, and Mary recognizes that the baby in her womb is her Lord. If Mary and Elizabeth recognize him as Lord, then this baby wrapped in swaddling clothes is not just some ordinary baby. He is our Savior. He is the Christ, the Deliverer. And now he is our Lord. Once we place our faith and trust in him, 
We commit to him the leadership of our lives. For Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Notice what he says. If you confess with your mouth, not just I want to be saved, not just I want to have fire insurance, not just I need a savior, not just I need a deliverer, but I need to commit to him the lordship of my life. Salvation doesn't become a reality until he becomes Lord. We must commit to his lordship. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. Jesus not only came to be our Savior, he not only came to be our Christ, our Deliverer, but he came to be the Lord of our lives. So how do we respond then to this passage? How do we respond to these three beautiful descriptions, these three wonderful discoveries about the Christ child? Number one, I need to confess him as my Savior. Have you ever confessed Christ as your Savior? Have you recognized the sin in your life and recognized that that sin reaps consequences, results in condemnation, eternal separation from God, and that the only way to be saved is to place your faith and trust in Christ, for this child was born on Christmas morning to be your Savior. Is he your Savior today? I'm convinced there are many in the United States, and there will be thousands in Wichita who will celebrate Christmas, Christ Mass, Christmas, who have never placed their faith and trust in Jesus and committed to him the leadership of their lives. Which brings us to the second point. Once I confess him as my Savior, I must celebrate now my freedom in Christ. You've been set free. Celebrate that freedom. Live your life free from sin. Because we should no longer be subject nor slaves to sin any longer. But now we have been set free to live and to stand upon the righteousness of Christ. And we must commit then to his leadership and his lordship in every aspect of our lives. But we must finally communicate his beautiful activity. The shepherds, it was said, after they had the angelic visit, what did they do? They went in haste. They immediately went to seek out, discover for themselves the Christ child. And when they got there, we're told that they saw Mary and they heard her testimony. They saw Joseph and they heard his testimony. But then... What they came to see was the baby. And as they saw this, this son of God wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger, they saw their Savior, they saw their Deliverer, and they saw their Lord. And they left praising God and telling everyone that their Messiah had arrived. This baby wrapped in swaddling clothes that was born on Christmas morning was born to die. He was born to set us free but he was also born to be your Lord, be the Lord of your life. Is he those things to you? And if not, this could be the most important decision you'll ever make in your life before you leave this time of worship and celebration, to make him those three things in your life today. Let's pray. Lord, we love and we thank you for the privilege and opportunity that we have
be challenged by these three beautiful discoveries of the, the shepherds discovered in that field watching their flock by night. The record of that account helps us discover that this Jesus was not just for them, but he came for us as well. Indiscriminately, you selected these shepherds, these no-name people, to receive the most glorious, most precious news of the birth of the Messiah. You are an, you're not discriminate at all. Or if you were, you would pass us up and you would not choose or select us to be recipients of this news. And yet you look past our sin. You reach down into our depravity. And you reveal to us that the birth of this beautiful child, he's our Savior, he's our Deliverer, and he's our Lord. And God, I pray that today, that we would make decisions that would make him all three of these beautiful descriptions in this wonderful good news. I pray that everyone in this room would know him as their Savior. I pray that all of us in this room would know him as our deliverer and that we would live free of the condemnation, the control of sin. And I pray, God, that we would make you Lord every single aspect of our life. Speak to us today, individually. Single us out so that we might hear you speak into our lives and challenge us with your word today. Every head bowed and every eye closed, would you take just a moment to reflect upon what God has spoken into your heart today? Is this baby your Savior? He was born to die. He came with the end in mind. I can imagine when he was on his throne and God said, It's time, Jesus, for you now to be brought down to earth and be placed in the womb of little Mary. That he knew when he left his throne, he knew the purpose, he knew the intent, he knew the reason for coming. He knew that he would come and he would be placed in this womb, that he would then for nine months grow to be born and that he would be born to eventually grow up as a young boy to become a young man who would eventually purposefully, intentionally die on a cross for sins that he didn't commit but sins that we committed against the Father. For we were the ones who should have died, yet he said, I'll die in their place for those who place their faith and trust in me. Have you placed your faith and trust in Jesus today? He died for you. He loved you enough in order to take upon himself your sin against the Father. And all you have to do is to turn from your life of sin and trust Jesus as your Savior. He wants to deliver you today from your sin. Unbeliever, he came to set you free. Many in here today are believers, but they have been shackled once again. They have returned to the old life and the old ways, and they have allowed Satan to trick them and trip them up and enslave them when he came to set us free. Declare your freedom today, believer. That if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
There's no reason you should be shackled or enslaved by sin, sin's consequences and the condemnation that you're living with right now. Submit to God, resist the devil, and be cleansed and be set free today. Is he Lord? Is he Lord of every aspect of your life today? Is he Lord of your marriage? Is he Lord of your children? Is he Lord of your home? Is he Lord of your finances? Is he Lord of your business, your career? If you place it upon the altar and give it to him and say, Lord, this is yours, it's not mine. I'm just a steward of what you've entrusted to me. Have your will and your way in my life. Anywhere, any way, anyhow you lead, I will go. Like Mary, Lord, you are my Lord and I will serve you and commit my all to you. In a moment, we're going to stand and sing an invitation hymn. We're going to ask you to just privately or publicly respond to whatever decision God's placed upon your heart. What you're sensing today is God's Spirit speaking into your life and how you respond and what you do with that is totally and completely up to you. Let go today and let God have His way in your life today during this time of invitation. Our pastors will be here. We'd love to pray with you and talk to you about the decision that God has placed upon your heart. God, I pray that as we stand in a moment we sing that you would be unleashed in this place and that your will would be made known and that we would have the courage to leave our seats and publicly respond to the invitation that you're extending to us. Some in this place need to be saved today. Some of us need to be delivered from what's enslaving us and holding us in bondage. And some of us today, Lord, we need to make you Lord of every aspect of our lives because we've been in the driver's seat too long. It's time we let go and let you take control of our lives. Without reservation, Lord, we give it to you and commit you to be Lord. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Good to see you today. We get to start off the service today with baptism. Caitlin and Kai are cousins, and they're going to be baptized together. They've placed their faith and trust in Jesus and accepted him as their Savior and committed to him the leadership and the lordship of their lives. So, Caitlin, have you placed your faith in Jesus and committed him to be the Lord of your life? It's my privilege to baptize you, my sister, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Buried with Christ in his death to walk in his 
and the power of his resurrection. Kai, Caitlin, would you stand right there? All right, while Kai comes, I know we have some family out there. Would you stand? We'd like to recognize the family that came to watch these two cousins get baptized today. If you're family, would you stand? They'd like to see you, kind of, if they can. Can you wave? All right, can you see him? <laughs> All right, Kai, have you placed your faith and trust in Jesus and accepted him as your Savior and Lord? It's my privilege to baptize you, my sister, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, buried with Christ in his death, to walk in the power of his resurrection. All right. And next we have Casey Bass. If you're a friend or family member of Casey's, would you please stand so we could recognize you? Anybody? Yeah. I got to know Casey this past summer at T2, and she is uh, just a, a great person. I'm very excited for her today. And uh, so, Casey, let me ask you, have you accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? Yes. And it is my privilege to baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Buried with Christ in baptism. Raised to walk in newness of life. I get the privilege this morning of baptizing Jaden. Jaden is a good friend of my grandson's and a good friend of our family's. If you are part of Jaden's family, a friend, or life group, would you stand so that we could honor you today as you celebrate God's activity in his life? Jaden, have you asked Jesus to come into your heart to be your savior and your boss? Yes. Because of that decision, it's my privilege this morning to get to baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We're buried with Christ in baptism, and we're raised to walk in newness of life. <laughs> 